Why, hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Matt of the band Low Moon over Zoom video. Matt was born and raised in Long Island, New York, and he talks about how he got into music. He actually uh, really pursued a career in hockey, so he talks to us about that, but he started drumming at a very early age as well. He played drums starting at seven years old, did that up through high school. He joined a glee club. He talked about writing his first song, and the first song he really, really wrote was actually about 9-11. Being from the New York area, seeing that happen, being in high school at that time, we really actually both connected on that as far as being in high school and that happened we're the same age so i'm in san diego he's in new york and uh how far apart you know we were as a country but how everyone was still so struck at the same time it was just it was really interesting to hear him talk about that and writing that first song he told us about going to berkeley school of music that's when he started his singer songwriter career got to open up for some big acts did some touring, landed in New York City, and that's where he started to write what became the demos for the early Low Moon stuff. He started Loveless when he was in New York City. He had some label interests in New York, moved to Los Angeles. That kind of fell through, and this is where he starts to kind of form Low Moon. He talked about getting signed to Columbia Records, the huge success of the song Loveless, how much it, it changed their career, you know, got on the radio, they're playing these big, big festivals. We talk about where they were when COVID happened and how that affected this brand new record, which Matt said was about 85% done coming into January 2020, and how that affected the album and how it ended up turning out. The new record's called A Modern Life. Check that out, and you can watch the interview with Matt and myself on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Apple Music or Spotify, we would love it if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. It means the world to us. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Low Moon. This mm-hmm. podcast is about you, uh, you know, the origin story of Low Moon and obviously the new record you guys have coming out well, a week from tomorrow. week from tomorrow. Crazy. Crazy. So cool. So uh, first off, where were you born and raised? Uh, Long Island, New York. Okay. Um, in a town called uh, Oyster Bay. Oyster well, Bay. And- o- Oyster Bay, Long Island. Um, hometown of Billy Joel. That's cool. That's kind of our claim to fame. <laughs> well, this, I know there's a big music scene in, in, in uh, the Long yeah, Island area, right? There is. Yeah, there is. Um, Long Island punk scene was really, was really big when I was growing up. And... Also, the emo scene too, right? The emo scene was absolutely massive. massive. Yeah. yeah. What was that like? I mean, did you go to a bunch of shows around there? Well, weirdly enough, I, I kind of, I left to go to um, a high school in Connecticut. Um, when, so I, no, I, I was, I was too busy playing sports really. That, that was kind of, hmm. and I, and I had a lot of friends that were into the emo scene and, and um, I just, I just really didn't, I didn't go to a lot of shows, but um, I became friends with Dan Nigro, who was in a band called As Tall as Lines when I moved out to LA. And oh, wow. he was like the, the the main guy, you know, in the scene. Oh, yeah. That's a, so, yeah. <laughs> so it's just very funny. It's just very funny. Yeah. That's awesome. So, Long Island, uh, you, went to, you said you went to high school in Connecticut? I did, yeah. 
Okay, but you were still living in Long Island. You what? Commuting? No, no, uh, okay. I lived there. Yeah, went to a boarding school. Oh, right on. What was it? I mean, growing up in Long Island, how did you get into music? I've, my dad was was really um, into music. He has no, he doesn't have one musical bone in his body, but he <laughs> he has really good taste, and he was just always showing me music. And at my um, middle school, there was a great little music program. And mm-hmm. I picked up drums first. Okay. Yeah. How old are you when you did drums? I was seven. I started wow. like, yeah. Okay. I, I got really into it. And um I I and and I continued to play drums for a while. And and then when I got to my sophomore year of high school is when I just started, you know, started to strum the guitar. Okay. Tried to strum the guitar. Did you play in the that, school? I was just playing drums. Yeah. Were you in the school like band mm-hmm. as a drummer? Oh, exactly. Percussion and, I, and everything. Yeah. And I was well. We had this. It was. It was kind of like a contemporary music class. Mm-hmm. Um. It was band. It was band. My teacher absolutely hated me. I think I got kicked out because the hardest thing with drums and and any 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 instrument is when you're sat behind it, it's impossible not to play it. Oh, right. <laughs> you just like bang him. Yeah, yeah. Like he would start talking and I'd be like, <laughs> you know, and I would just get kicked out all the time. Um, but they liked my enthusiasm. I, I just always wanted to play. That's funny. Well, what with that, you played an actual kid in the band at school. Yeah, it was like this. We had this weird contemporary band class um, and we had a full kit. I mean, it wasn't traditional band, mm-hmm. which I thought, which I, I always found really interesting. Right. It was, it was, I was able to play the kit. I, I don't think there was enough kids that were into being in, in, in band. Sure. Well, was there like guitars and everything in this band or yeah, like array of what, what I, instruments were, there were other, what I, other kids were playing? There was guitars, bass. Um, what else? We did have a, you know, the horn section. Okay. I don't remember any string, stringed. I don't remember violin or cello. I don't remember any of that. But what was crazy is the guitar player. Um, he and I just used to hang out after school. We had a little duo. You know, we were the first Black Keys, and um, <laughs> and he and I we just kind of learned music together. He was an amazing virtuosic player. Mm-hmm. I, I just really, really remember him being, and he, he showed me Radiohead. I mean, I'm getting into eighth grade now, you know, I'm not. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. But you that guys are playing first, a band together? Like we oh, had a little band jam, together. Jam together? Yeah. Okay. I found, I found video of us playing in my, in, in my living room. Actually recently, um, my parents dug up a bunch of VHS tapes and there I was banging on That's the drums. That's funny. Were you guys Singing. doing originals? Yeah, we were doing, oh yeah, we were doing originals. Originals. I, I mean, the lyrics, you know, at, at that age, I mean, what was I saying? I don't even know. <laughs> That's awesome, though, to have to be the drummer singer in a band at, in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's impressive. Yeah, I wanted to be Phil Collins, I guess, uh, without, sure. without knowing it. <laughs> <laughs> but then you went to high school in Connecticut, you said. And did you keep playing drums? You talked about picking up guitar around that time as well. Well, I went I went to I, I left Long Island to go to a um, kind of a 
all boys school up in New Hampshire for two years before I went to school in Connecticut. And mm -hmm. there I had a, I had an, another, I've been really lucky. I mean, when I think about it, just teachers who pushed me to continue to pursue my, my love of music. Um, my first love was, was hockey, ice hockey. And I was pursuing that at the time, mm -hmm. but I was just really transfixed with music. And I had a teacher there um, in New Hampshire that again, a contempt. I was singing in the Glee Club. I actually started by. He was like, "I think you should start singing in the Glee Club," and and mm -hmm. I, I was like, "Yeah, that 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 would make sense." And we also had a band. I put a band together there. We played a lot of Weezer covers. I remember very, very vividly playing "Say It Ain't So" at like a school kind of gathering, and I was freaking out. <laughs> um, I was just so nervous, and. Um, well, that's not an easy one to sing, right? I mean, the well, chorus is like way up sing, here. Yeah, I didn't sing. <laughs> I, I gave up my singing from the drums. I was like, I'm not singing from the drums anymore. This oh, okay. Like, so you're still in the, you're playing drums during the show. I was playing show. drums. Okay. Yeah. But I was so nervous. And, and there I actually, being in the Glee Club, he, my teacher, he really wanted me to start singing more. He, he just thought that, that I should, you know, that had a, a nice voice. And uh, mm -hmm. I remember singing Cat Stevens in uh, another school gathering. That was the first song I ever sang, Cats in the Cradle. Oh, cool. Did you With, play, just I sang? I didn't play guitar. I just sang. Just because sang I, I couldn't play guitar. Um, okay. And the music teacher played guitar and accompanied me and I sang. And then from then on, I, I, I you know, got, got really interested in pursuing singing. Mm -hmm. And from there. Well, during this time you talked about playing hockey, like mm -hmm. was, was that something that you were like really passionate? Like, okay, I want to really, I'm going to go to college for hockey. I want to try to make it to the NHL. Like oh, yeah. what was that kind of your path originally? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Full, fully my path. And I, and I had some, and I had some amazing opportunities and, and it, I was on that path. I mean, I was, that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, music and just took over when I, when I got to high school, music really took over, even though I went to a high school in Connecticut, like I said, to play hockey. And um, my freshman year, I found a really amazing musical brethren. I had, um, I, again, I started another band. I, and in that band, I decided I wanted to sing. And I, and I just started playing guitar. Okay. Um, but that, the, the moment in high school was 9-11. That's the moment that I really, I sat down and wrote my first song. Really? Yeah. That was because I was living away from home and I grew up in New York. And uh -huh. I just, that moment, I was, remember my roommate coming into the, into the, you know, I, I was, I had a class off at the time and there was a school assembly about 9-11 and my roommate came in and explained to me what happened. I called my house and it was, you know, the, the answering machine said, there's a, tornado in your area you know that's what what no one could reach mm -hmm. family members in new york so um that week i wrote this song my first song called the city cries its tears which is i mean it's kind of laugh it's kind of ridiculous song when i think about it now but that's what kicked it off and i played it at another school gathering which was and i sang and played it and i was hooked um that that was it Wow. I mean, that song, I mean, the, the title of it sounds like it's really deep. I mean, it was seriously. deep. No, no, it actually, my aunt, my aunt 
to this day, every single 911 sends me the lyrics of the song, which I, I think mm. is really sweet. Um, that is. It is really sweet. And But that moment, that was it. Uh, from then on, I, I just continued to want to write and play, play guitar and write. And I had a, I, I think we had a show, maybe it's my f- junior year, and mm-hmm. some my friend's dad worked at Berkeley and, and Berkeley College of Music and said, you should go to Berkeley College of Music and really pursue this. And, I, you know, I was on the path to go play, you know, hockey. college hockey. And, uh-huh. and I, I remember having a conversation with my dad. He said, if, if you really want to do music, you should learn everything you need to learn about it and put yourself in a position where you understand it fully and i feel really grateful to have parents that just said that to me because they couldn't it should, you know they could have said just go to college and do your thing right um, or they could have said why are you going to give up on hockey they 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 definitely said they definitely i mean i can only imagine what they felt like now you know as you get older you start yeah. thinking wow that must have really hit them right They're doing this thing <laughs> for so long um they yeah they my dad was was very encouraging about it, and my mom and and dad were 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 just. They said, "Go pursue this, go 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 and and." I, but I do think it was, I had, there was a very strong, um, emphasis on education, uh-huh. and I think, I think my parents saw going to college for music as a step in that education sure. direction he's getting a degree it's not <laughs> and, and i didn't get my degree so you know but i think that at that moment they were they're like oh yeah he's gonna go to college for music uh-huh. it's not going yeah. to college for any other reason so okay did you end up going to berkeley i did okay i did i want to i would get that i want to talk to you about that yeah. but i'm real quick on the on the 9-11 thing i mean we must mm-hmm. i was in high school and that happened too so we must be pr- probably around the same, same age. age yeah I'm 37. Um, I'm exact same age. Okay. I graduated in 2003. <laughs> uh, 04 for me. Okay. Close, close, close. Um, but yeah, I remember being in soft. I, I grew up in San Diego. Oh, you did? And um, I have, yeah, knew nothing about, I mean, I knew New York, but I didn't right. know much anything about it. And, and just like that happening, even clear across the whole country was just so, I mean, I can vividly remember hearing what happened, going into every single class and no, it was no learning. I mean, it was news yeah. on every TV yeah. of every class and people just sit like crying and just sitting like, so it was so heavy. And I can't imagine being in, you know, in your position where you actually lived there, you know, people living in yeah, my sister city. lived downtown. My sister lived downtown. Oh my yeah. gosh. And that's, heavy. and that's why it was, and we had such a community of kids that grew up in New York and a, and a couple, a couple kids lost their parents that went to oh school. My I mean, it, gosh. And um, we had a lot of family members that everyone knew, everyone knew someone that was directly impacted by it. And I, yeah. and I was away from home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can't get a hold of anyone too. Couldn't get a hold of like, anyone. Yeah. 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 It was just a very scary time. Um, and I turned to music, which is when I realized that there was an emotional connection to what I was discovering about this voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For, I mean, wow. Yeah, for sure. And then you end up, obviously that took you in a totally different career path or different path in life. And you get into Berkeley, that that's a huge accomplishment in itself. Like, tell me about getting into Berkeley. Well, at that time they didn't require any auditions. So well, okay. that, now it's like impossible to get into. 
I heard cool. now you pretty much have to go to their like camp beforehand. Like you have yeah, to yeah, yeah. like, yeah, like have summer, a summer camp thing. Totally, dude. Totally. <laughs> so, I wouldn't get in now. Um, <laughs> yeah, you would. Just, just like, here's a link to my Spotify. Yeah, 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 check it out. <laughs> like, can you read music? I'm like, oh, I forgot how to do that. Um, <laughs> but there's a, yeah, there were I, this, my friend's dad was really, he was really encouraging. And mm-hmm. so, and, and because there were no auditions, actually I did audition for a scholarship because I was like, yeah, I know how to write some songs. I mean, I didn't really, but I, they put me in a room and <laughs> they put me in a room and they were like, okay, read this. And I just looked up and was like, I really can't read music. Oh, they want you to sight read. Yeah. They wanted me to sight read on guitar. I'm like, what? Like, throw me some tab man right yeah. <laughs> you're like ultimate guitar hero yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> give me a second i'll figure yeah, this man. one out yeah. oh that's funny well so did you pursue songwriting was that your major at that was berkeley my major. That was okay my major. and then how long were you there for three 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 years and and i left to to start touring on the singer songwriter scene boston okay. at the time had a very interesting singer songwriter scene um there was like that moment of John Mayer and maybe mm-hmm. he was, a, he was past me, but Howie day. I mean, those guys were, and I got asked to open for Howie day at the time. Wow. He had a big song called collide. Mm-hmm. And I toured with him and this guy, Matt Nathanson for a bit. It was just a very different scene than where I ever imagined. You know, if I want to think back on it, there were, they, those were informative years because mm-hmm. I was playing by myself and touring and, and touring yeah and i and i learned so much about just what it was like and the business of it all and it was a very it was a very interesting time mm-hmm. did you just have were you playing out quite a bit in berkeley and somebody saw you and then you kind of evolved yeah, and landed that gig yeah this agent saw me this like agent saw me at like i mean i'm not kidding i think i was playing a bowling alley i would do i would leave every weekend to just go play any coffee house that would have me. Mm-hmm. It was, it was pretty amazing. I mean, when I think back on it, I was like, I'm amazed that I did that. Just knowing my personality. I'm, uh, it, uh, uh, it was just like, I just had these songs and I needed to play them and I didn't uh-huh. know where to play them, you know? Yeah. And there was, there was like a performance center at the school that I, I think I had just done it too many times and I was getting bored of doing like <laughs> the cafe at Burger. Right. So you just found other places to play and went, wow, to land a bad, think about it. I mean, yeah, no, no, bowling alley. I guess it's like one of those things where they say, just never say no to a show because yeah, you don't know who's exactly. in the audience. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I did learn and that, that mentality stuck with me. It's just, you yeah. just keep going. Mm-hmm. And so you did those tours and you ended up landing in New York city at this, like after yeah, that? Yeah, I, I, I went back home. I lived with my parents for a bit and then I moved in with my sister in the city. Uh-huh. And at that time, I started working at this studio that my friends had opened called The Bunker. Um, a friend of a, a friend, a faculty member of my high school um, son had a, lived in Brooklyn and he was in the indie rock scene. And okay. in the indie rock scene to me was extremely intimidating. It just I wasn't cool enough for the indie rock scene. I was like playing with pop songwriters mm-hmm. Um but he, but the, this guy, John Davis, he, he really liked my songwriting and, and we just hit it off. And because his dad worked at my school, there was, there was a connection there. And, and I went in and hung out with him in Brooklyn 
while I was in high school, I would like, when I would come home, I'd go and see him because he was older than me. He graduated three years old uh, before me. Oh, and he was working in the studio. He was work- he had run this, he would open the studio in the basement and it basically in his apartment on Metropolitan in, in Brooklyn uh-huh. um, uh, below the subway. And every wow. time I would go home, he would invite me over to like hang out, you know, and I, I was like, oh, wow, I'm hanging out with these cool indie rock kids, you know, they mm-hmm. were they they had a band called phonograph that that was touring europe and, and they were doing really well at the time they got signed to wilco some member of wilco uh michael gorkison i think the keyboard player he had a label and so wow. there, there, were, there was like they he got signed to that i was like oh wow like these guys are, are cool and john basically helped me record some demos he was just he's an amazing bass player he plays in a band called nerve now that's with jojo mayer anyway he mm-hmm. taught me a lot about recording. And when I moved back to New York, after I hit him up and I said, you know, uh, I'm around, can I just come by and hang out? And I just mm-hmm. hung out and, and learned and interned. And then the, the studio actually tracked Tighten Up by the Black Keys. Oh, really? That, the yeah, like real ver- the, the version? The, the drums from Tighten Up are at this studio called The Bunker, which is... I mean, I would tell you it was in the basement of like, you know, they had to wait for the subway to pass to do a take. It was, you know, that, that's crazy. It was pretty wild. And, and, and at that point, Black Keys were a thing. I mean, yeah, it was they like were, their first I, record. Yeah, I think Tighten Up, was Tighten Up the one that like really started it big time? Like I, the, the, the first record was big, I remember. Yeah, then they had the record. Yeah, it, Tighten Up was, I think, like two or three albums in. Right. Maybe. Yeah. So they, they, they recorded that there. And, and that's the moment they decided they probably needed a bigger, like a better studio. They wanted to upgrade. <laughs> yeah. And they did. And I, and I got asked to help them kind of open it. And, and I did construction. It was like a whole thing. Uh-huh. But, the, but all the, during that time when I moved back to New York, my friend had introduced me to this guy, Andrew. Um, who also went to Berkeley and mm-hmm. was an electronic music. He went for electronic music. So he uh-huh. was a trance DJ artist producer. And mm-hmm. my friend Cyrus, my best friend, who is a mutual friend of Andrew, said, I think you and Andrew should hit, would hit it off. And we, we did. And I convinced Andrew to move. He lived in D.C. at the time. And I convinced him to move to New York and kind of start a project with me. And my friend Cyrus, our friend Cyrus, was living in New York. So he did. He's like, I'll, I'll go move to New York. I've got, you know, I can do this anywhere. Mm-hmm. And we just got together and started making music. And that's when Loveless basically birthed, Andrew and I birthed Loveless and a bunch uh, of other tracks. But that's. Wow. Yeah. That was, that, was gonna, that was when the, because obviously the band is a lot more electronic heavy now than sounds like a singer songwriter thing would be. So that's kind of when that, that the genre switch started. That's when, when, I mean, I, I didn't want to do the singer songwriter thing anymore. It just felt I was bored. I I wanted the energy of being in a band or being with a group of people that, and, and honestly, I think about it all the time coming from team sports has a lot to do with that. I just like having people around me. I like the, the connection of your team. I like, you know, having your, your, your group of guys, you know, I think Mm -hmm. about, Bruce Springsteen, E Street Band. It's like there's nothing better than just having a bunch of guys or girls that are there to to, to kill for the songs and and to you know have an energy about it. So I wanted that really badly, mm-hmm. and Andrew was and I needed I, I wanted to collaborate, and Andrew was bringing something that was 
that I just couldn't do and had no interest in, in kind of pursuing. And he turned my, you know, he just like, I was like, Oh wow, this is, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And we made a bunch of tracks that I mean are still sitting around now. Some of which uh, I always revisit. I'm like, Oh wow, these are, these are really good. But yeah, Loveless was 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 born one there. Of yeah. Wow, and but you wouldn't have Low Moon at this point, right? No. So okay. it was called Stranger, and okay. uh, it was just me and Andrew, and we didn't do anything with the tracks besides send them to our friend Cyrus, who was a friend that also was working at Electronic Label. Actually, it was Tiesto's record label at the time, wow. and he was like, "This is really good. <laughs> you guys are hitting on something here." And I was, you know, we didn't know we we. Um, and he introduced us to this guy named Dean Wengro, who was, um, at Mute Records at the time. And, and he came down to listen to some, some, some tracks and, and Dean said, you know, you have this song Loveless that Cyrus sent me and, uh, really reminds me of something off of Spirit of Eden by Talk Talk. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but cool. Thank you. And that night I went home and listened to Spirit of Eden. And that, again, another paradigm shift. My world was just blown wide open. And mm-hmm. then I, I realized that, oh, right, this is the kind of music I need to be making. This is, this is, this is where, I, where I belong. And Andrew and I both just kept pursuing that um, until a point when we, we decided we should, we, we should move to Los Angeles. Or we, so you both moved to L.A. We then? both moved to L.A. Oh, because okay there was a moment in time where it kind of, there was some energy about, well, long story short, there was a, a record company that, that wanted to sign us out in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were kind of told that we should move here because that was what was going to happen. It ended up falling through and it was very bizarre. We were both kind of sat out here like, what are we doing? Um, yeah, now you travel across the whole country. It was very, and we lucky enough we were staying with friends. Um, but it was a very bizarre. It was kind of a bizarre time in both of our lives. And then I, when when we moved out here, I came to the realization: I was like, we need to play. We can't just be a bedroom band. We haven't mm-hmm. released anything. We need to we need to go out and play. And he didn't want to. He just didn't want to be in a band. He wanted to produce. He wanted to write. And he didn't, and that's kind of as far as he wanted to take it. So mm-hmm. that's when I started looking for musicians and kind of forming a band. Um, and I met Chris Santa and I met this guy, Damar, who was playing drums and it was a three piece and we called it Stranger. And I had, and the, it was basically the songs I had written with Andrew. He was still around. He was still uh-huh. here. We were working on, on more material and the band. And I, I went, we went into like a rehearsal studio. We just like learned shed these songs like a like a band would and we played gigs around town uh-huh. and that was kind of the start of low moon weirdly even though the lineup changed but okay but chrysanta stayed in the stayed band. right so she you you guys ended up what breaking off and then starting low moon together well it, i what, what it kind of presented itself in a weird in a very weird way i mean we had we, we, I realized that the band couldn't be a three piece and that it needed, it needed something. We needed a guitar player Mm -hmm. and our friend introduced us to Sam. And when I met Sam, it was a very, it was very similar thing. I just kept showing people these demos that I had. It was like, I have this SoundCloud. You want to check it out? And there was all these songs that Andrew and I had written. 
um, that were on there that were basically fully formed. And we, we, I think there, it's kind of a hazy time because I kind of went away and started writing more and more material mm-hmm. and Chris Hanta and I would get together and, and, and work on them like in a, I would basically show her and then we would try to rehearse with, with DeMar. But that just, just wasn't working. It kind of ran its course. And so mm-hmm. when we met Sam, it was like, oh, the three of us, this is like a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we should we should work on these songs that I have in my garage. You know, we basically went out to my garage and started working on the songs together. And one, and Loveless, the demo of Loveless found its way to this guy named Jack Knife Lee, um, who's a big producer. And he brought me up to, he basically emailed me, a, th- a friend of mine from Berkeley was like, I sent her some demos, sent her mm-hmm. demos. And she, and, her, and and my manager was friends with, with, with her at the time. And, she sent it to Jackknife and Jackknife was like, come out to Topanga Canyon and hang out. And I was like, okay, <laughs> weird. And I did. And uh, the next week, someone from Columbia came up to Topanga Canyon to do the same thing, you know, to, to kind of check out what Jackknife was, was into and what he was right. working on. And Jackknife showed her loveless. And then that was the kind of start of the, you know, the band getting signed. And I, and I played, we had played with stranger with that lineup of stranger, a bunch of gigs around town. We had been mm-hmm. sending them to, and nobody paid attention to it. It was just like, wow. it was, so it was really jackknife kind of showed the right person, the right thing at the right time. Right. But uh, you had the right song to add to that. Uh, I think, I think so. Yeah. Yes. I mean, obviously I, that song was I actually, a huge hit. Yeah. I actually know that, you know, there, there was everyone, you know, I have friends that ask me like, how does that happen? And I don't think it happens today. A great song doesn't get you signed today, which is very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, virality, it's just a whole different world, right? I mean, with different world. Virality yeah. gets you signed. I mean, that's what gets you signed. You just have to have a viral moment or you have to have something else besides the song. And yeah, feel really you have lucky to have a, 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 a bunch of followers or whatever, right? You have to have some clout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I feel like we were one of the last bands signed just on a demo like that um, to a major label. There was no data. Like, and Spotify was a thing, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the only thing. Right. Then there were, there was, because now we just have so much data and A&Rs are looking at numbers and, and it's great. It's just a different game. Right. Now it's why take a chance on something when we already know this stuff's already working. Right. It's like, exactly. oh, well that has a, a million streams and they don't have a label, but they already have a fan base. So, Hey, exactly. you know, we can elevate you or whatever. Exactly. Uh, that, that's really interesting. Um, so, well, then you ended up re-recording the song, right? With Chris Walla produced it, or was that earlier than Columbia finding it? Um, so Columbia found it. Uh-huh. And when we decided that we should, well, there were, you know, obviously you get signed, you need to make a record and there were so many songs, um, but there was, I was just writing a lot. And at the same time, when I moved to LA, I met mm-hmm. Dan Nigra, who um, he reached out for the same reason. He just heard Loveless, a friend of his had sent him SoundCloud and he reached out to me and he was like, I want to write some songs with you. And I was, I, I, was done, I, was, I was in the space where I didn't know if I wanted to write songs with anybody anymore because Andrew and I's relationship had kind of faded after after I realized he didn't really want to play live anymore. And there was just a, I kind of took 
back the reins of, I want to write my own songs and see where this can take me and play them with this band, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but Dan was from Long Island and I liked him. And so I was like, yeah, let's, and, and LA has this very interesting writing scene. I hate calling it that, but everyone, it's like, every, it's like, if you get signed, then you got to start writing with people that have had success writing. The time Dan, at the time, Dan really, I mean, he really wasn't like a successful songwriter at the time. He had had a few cuts. I think he had done something with Sky Ferreira at the time, but Dan just really liked the music. He loved Talk Talk. So we, uh-huh. we kind of hit it off on, to- on our love for Talk Talk and we got together and wrote a lot. And this, at the same time as when I was meeting with Jack Knife, it all kind of came together oh, at the same time. Same time. And, okay. then, and then Dan and I kind of got together and, started writing a lot of music together. Um, mm-hmm. 50, like 50% of the first album was just Dan and I songs that we had spent a lot of time writing. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we were at the point where we had a batch of songs in the labels that it's time to start thinking about making a record. And mm-hmm. Chris Walla came up and we sent him the demos and he, he loved them and he had a real spirit an idea about it. And um, the week before that, I had met this guy, Francois Titez, who had produced the Gautier album. And mm-hmm. Frank had this just wonderful, incredible, I don't know, energy about him. I was kind of obsessed with Frank. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I thought I decided I wanted to make the record with Frank. And I met Chris and uh, I love this guy, Chris. And then Chris calls me a couple of days after the meeting and says, you know, I don't think I have time to make the record. I'm moving to Norway. I really want to make this record, but you should make it with this guy, Francois Tites, who I just, I met. And I was like, what? Really? You know, I thought, yeah, it was really <laughs> And so then I, being, being naive and a little like, just got signed to a, to a major, I want to make a, a record as good as I can possibly do it. Um, mm-hmm. I introduced the two of them. And I was like, why don't we just wait until you guys can do it together? They had never met. Oh. They had never met in person. He just knew like, of each other. Just knew or, of each other. Yeah, wow. Each other. How crazy. Uh, Fra- Chris had heard something that Frank had, was working on and fell in love with it and was just like, I know this guy just moved to LA and he's from Australia and, he want, and he's making great records and you should work with him. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, no, you guys should do it together. You know, I was obsessed with the Eno Lenoir thing. I mean, that, that was in my head. I wanted to have the super producer I- idea for making. It was not probably didn't need to do that for the first record, but I can say that we learned so much about making records and mm-hmm. just having those guys around was an incredible experience. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, the record is awesome. I was, I worked at a, a radio station in San Diego at the time. You guys played our big festival. 91 X. Yeah. Oh, wow. I love 91 X. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was there. For, I mean, I've been, radio is my thing. I did that for 15 years before kind of doing this now. And I've moved out of San Diego. I'm in Nashville, but. Oh, you uh, are. Yeah, I was on 91X for six, seven years and also stationed in San Francisco. But we played, uh, like you guys played our show and we played Loveless on, uh, we, I'd play your show, like your song a couple times a night, like every night oh, for man. a long time. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I remember seeing you guys play uh, our Fest, X Fest, we had, I think, Phoenix and Empire Phoenix, of the Sun. Phoenix, Empire of the Sun. Yeah. That was fun. Uh, Lemon Twigs were on there, maybe? Yeah, Lemon Twigs. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the rest of the band. But yeah, that was a great lineup. And you guys, was, yeah, you guys played. And that's when I first discovered you. Was oh, wow. when we started playing your record. 
um, or before that we were playing your record and then you played our show, but um, tell me what it was like to like, you know, now you have this song, you've been writing it for, a, I mean, you've had it for a long time. Right. And then you, it gets you a label interest. And then it actually gets you signed to a major label. And now you're working with these huge producers and then it gets on the radio. Like, tell me like, what was that? Like hearing that on the radio and like that whole experience was that, what was that like? Very bizarre. Very bizarre. <laughs> yeah. And, and and it doesn't get old hearing your song on the radio, even on the new record. I'm like, I can't believe they're playing our song on the radio. But I, I just, especially with a song like Loveless, I just didn't think anybody would really care because um, nobody cared about it for a long time. And, and I just thought it was, it, did, it wasn't a radio song. I mean, as you know, it's a seven minute song. Right. You know? and, I think we just, played some edited version. There was an edit. I, there was an edit. I, I swear like, Pain. I, I bet because the beginning of the song, maybe we did play the original because it had a it has like a long buildup in the beginning. Yeah, I want to say wait, maybe we did because ninety one X was very notorious for like not playing into the we're gonna snip half the song out. Yeah, so we might have played the whole record, but we I know that there is like an edited version where they where somebody clips the beginning of it off. Yeah, the, the beginning and the bridge is cut off, and and it, and it honestly it works, and I I I. I think I just got to a point where I was like, if somebody wants to discover this record and they th and the way in is at five minutes instead of seven minutes, then I'm okay with that. I think uh, I think Bob Moses played the same show that you guys did, and we did that. And I remember actually now that you're saying it, we clipped one hit, the song that Bob Moses had that was a hit on the air too. Oh wow! I love uh, those guys. I didn't yeah. know they were bad. That they played that show. They also yeah. played. I met those guys. They played Loveless on like one of their DJ sets once. But I didn't realize uh, they were at that show. And then we've since like hung out. A few yes. They, they, no, for sure. They, they played it. Cause I, I vividly remember that, sh that whole thing. Cause it was the first time we ever did a show um, at that, like between the football stadium kind of weird yeah, yeah. area that it was at. Um, but yeah, th that we clipped one of their songs. That's <laughs> so awesome. we had two bands. That we, like, two bands you clipped. We clipped their songs on the same lineup. Um, well, okay, so yeah, obviously that song is awesome. It probably leads to a lot of opportunity for the band, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious about um, the song For Me, It's You that you put out in 2018 and just like the amount of streams it has on Spotify. Do you know where that came from? Oh, uh, yeah. It's called Warm Fuzzy Playlist or something. Really? I, I, I think eight months after the song was released, it ended up on this playlist that people react to it and they love it. I mean, it's an incredible song. Don't get Thank me wrong, you. but it wasn't like a radio hit. No, 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 I mean, no. Not a radio well, hit, but it wasn't a, a radio single, was it? It wasn't even a moment. No, and um, it was the last thing we did on Columbia, and they. It was not even a. It was there was no thought about it at all. It's just like we were touring. Let's get a new song out, and we recorded it. And we put it out, and then nine months later, it, somehow people were discovering it on Spotify, and then it was in this show called. Uh, it was in the in. Nancy Drew, it's a CW show. Oh yeah, yeah. I think okay. that, that also added Helped. to yeah, that also added to the. That's awesome. Well, I'm curious to know where. Okay, so that was 2018, but I'm uh, where were you guys at? We'll talk about the new record now, but I want to know where you were at before the pandemic hit. Like, were you working on this record or the record was done for, oh, it for was. the most part? The okay. record was like 80 percent done, 85 percent done, okay. and January 2020. Um, yeah, we we were getting ready to start setting it up. And then obviously the, the pandemic, I think it made us realize that we could probably make some of this record 
a better record and our label situation was um, becoming more and more strange by the day. And so we, we took the, a second to reassess the art, you know, we just, uh -huh. went, okay, well maybe we have a second here and it's probably not smart for us to put a record out and, and struggle to promote it because we found so much of what we do and how we connect as a band is live. And it just, mm -hmm. it was becoming very obvious very quickly that that wasn't going to happen um, on this campaign during 2020, you know? Sure. So, so I'm really grateful for the opportunity to go back in and, and make of the record how we wanted to. I, I think we made a better record. And, and sometimes I think you can go back in on things and it becomes less obvious of what it is. Um, right. You can almost overproduce what exactly. you had going or overthink everything. Overthink or think it. And I think we, we, we got in at the right moment and, and we definitely made it better. And, and we also reached out to Chris Wall at the very end. We were working with this guy, Eve Rothman, who's fantastic. And we got stuck on a few things and we, we kind of felt we needed a little bit of that first record. Uh huh. That, like just the fir that first record feeling of like, this is a new thing for us. This is, this is what, what, we're trying to discover about whatever it is the, the the four of us at the time now do together. And so Chris was able to pull that out of us in the end. We worked on two songs with him. Oh, that's amazing. And at this point, so you had the record, you said 80% done and then you, the pandemic happens and mm -hmm. it's like, okay, let's reevaluate some, or let's, were you just listening to the songs and we're like, mm -hmm. eh, we can kind of, yeah. we can tweak some things here. Yeah. And then did you, and then did you add to the record and like, how did it, we added like, to the record. Of, Okay. We added to the record. There was a song, the first song in the record carried away was a song that there was a demo of it lying around 2000 from like 2017 of me on acoustic guitar. And Sam pulled it up and said, man, this has something about it. And we got together in January or maybe February, 2020 after the record mm -hmm. was pretty much done. And we just worked on it and finished that song. And we're like, Oh, this, this song has a feeling and a spirit now. And, and we should try to produce this one for the record. And then I wrote a song called Digging Up the Dead, which was another late addition to the album. That was the last song written for the album. And the album closer, Stop, was kind of 45% done. And I felt like we could make it better. Okay. And then you went and, and cut those songs and then yeah, what, we, polished up the record. Exactly. And, okay. and then once, you cut the, once we cut those songs or once we had those songs, we went back over the whole record. Oh. And we realized that the title track was not hitting us the way we wanted to. So then we called Chris and he helped us kind of get digging up the dead and, and modern life over the line. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I, I yeah. It's interesting that you said like, you can almost, you brought up the overproducing thing. Cause that's what I was thinking of. Like, maybe like, did you have that fear? Like, okay, well now we have all this time to spend with this album. Is that going to change it in a way that we didn't, the direction kind of shifted, but it sounds like you were pretty much on it as far as that went. Well, I think actually we did the opposite of what I think we, we actually just stripped it away. We took oh, a lot away. We, 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 it was actually way more produced and we went into this album mainly thinking about how it would translate live because uh -huh. we had the first album. We didn't have Sterling. who was our, our drummer now. And uh -huh. we, had played so many gigs on the first album that we knew that we wanted that energy of a live band in the room. So I think we did mostly calling and mostly carving out 
so that you can hear, obviously it's a produced record, but hear that energy and hear that, that room and hear the band in there and, and make sure that the spirit of that is captured. And a lot of times that comes from the drums. So like we redid the drums a bunch of times on the dream never dies. And just, okay. we're just, we love problem with this band is we love recording to the point where it it's, we'll just stay in there until it's, you know, and we had to pull ourselves away from it eventually, but I mm-hmm. think it was the right move. Yeah. And you finished the record and then obviously 2021, everything's still like happening, but stoked that you have a tour scheduled now. Yes. yes. And have you had a play, have a chance to play at all since? Nope. We haven't since... played since, you know, 2018. Really? Yeah. Wow. We, we play our first show Monday, a week from Monday. Sorry. We're doing, we, we're going out and doing a, a few radio shows on the, on the East coast. And we're playing like a, our first full set on Friday. Um, the day the album comes out in Philadelphia. We're so stoked. That is so awesome. That's going to be a big emotional day, I'm sure. Yeah, we were, supposed to, <laughs> we were supposed to play some shows with the War on Drugs in January. And then obviously the pandemic, um, they, they cut their openers so that they could keep it safer for them, which made a lot of sense. And so- Oh, I didn't realize that. That was supposed to be in January. That was going to be like our first shows. Okay. And then, but you're doing a headlining thing. That's amazing. We're doing a we're doing a, we're going to Europe. Well, we're doing this headline thing for the next week. We're doing this radio thing. And then we go to Europe with the war on drugs for about a month. And then we come back and do some more headline U.S. shows and then more U.S. shows with the war on drugs and some more. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you did get to, that's awesome that they were able to be like, okay, we'll, we'll bring you back. Like, you yeah, know yeah, what I mean? Like, got, it wasn't like really, you got stiffed. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> they didn't stiff us <laughs> that is awesome that is awesome i can't you're playing here in nashville so i'm i'm excited i'm going to come check you out nashville's sure. going to be amazing nashville's always a good show cool i'm dude i'm so new here like i moved here almost a year ago okay I guess yeah, which is not new. really a year but it's not really not really new year so i haven't had a chance to really experience you know the venues here or anything like that like i just feel like so like i'm here but I haven't really been able to like go out and see anything. So I'm excited to see like, you know, the bands that are coming through and like bands like yours that I've had only a chance to see at like a festival ish setting, you know? Right. And it's like, now I'll get to see you. I think you guys are playing or basement East or, or I can't no, remember. Um, uh, I'd have to look. I forget the name of the room. Yeah. I, I, I recognize we played the there, name. We played there last tour. Last time we headlined, it was awesome. Okay, really cool. Yeah. Rad. Well, I'm, I'm going to go check you out for sure. Sweet, that day. Awesome, and dude. so, yeah, so the record's coming out a week from t- tomorrow. That's amazing. And I appreciate your, you taking this time to hang out with me, Matt. This has been awesome. Thank you so course, much. Man. Thank you. Yeah. I have one more quick question. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. I, I think the thing I've learned the hardest and something I wish somebody had told me is just listen to yourself. The industry, don't get caught up in the music industry. Um, trust your gut as an artist and know that that's the only thing that you have that stands out from anybody else. It's the inner, whatever it is that makes you tick as an artist, that's the thing. That is the only thing. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's easy to get lost in the web of the music business and industry. And every time somebody asks me, like an artist asks me about that, the only thing they ask you is about the music industry. Where re- it's like, what really you should be doing is ask yourself what makes you tick and go and dive as deep 
as you can into that. And that's what I've learned has kind of kept me the happiest in, in 